Возлюбленная Богом Церковь, начиная наше богослужение пред Господом, встанем, пожалуйста, и утвердим обетование, относящееся к предверию нашей надежды, да воцарится воскресение Христова в наших телах. Склоним наши головы в молитве. Дорогой Небесный Отец, во имя Иисуса Христа, мы благодарны имени Твоему Святому за вновь представленную привилегию быть на месте всем, которое очертила десница Твоя для поклонения Святому имени Твоему. И ныне позволь наследию Твоему во имя крови завета подняться на вершины для нас недосягаемые и сокрушить всякое бремя и запинающий нас грех. Да будут прокляты в этом служении, как и прежде, все дела дьявола, болезни, нищета, преждевременная смерть, демоническая зависимость, всевозможные страхи, депрессии, разрушение, косность, невежество – все это да отступит от шатров святого народа Твоего. И ныне встань, Господи, на место покоя Твоего Ты и ковчег могущества Твоего, и да облекутся святые Твои спасением Твоим, и да возрадуются пред лицом Твоим. Дай нам больше от Духа Твоего, пропитай нас Духом Твоим святым, позволь нам найти светлое лицо Твое. Я представляю это служение в Твои божественные руки, веди его рукою превознесенную, великий Бог, Отец, Сын, Дух Святой. Аминь. Да благословит вас Господь, можете садиться. Божественной власти. 
получили возвести ужасный тупень. Будет бой на поле, обычно трудится, и один вознесется друг на Мучение придется остаться тогда, Поздно будет другому уже измениться. На мучение придется остаться тогда. Мгновение ока Христос возвратится за народом, который был Наследники неба, вы достойны со мной быть на брачном пиру. И он скажет, пойдите, наследники неба, вы достойны со мной быть на брачном пиру. Остальных миллионы воскреснут на Боге. Самый храбрый воскликнет Припокал великий Вся земля возрыдает Предгрозным Христом Самый храбрый воскликнет Припокал великий Вся земля возрыдает Предгрозным Христом Приближается день твой Господь всемогущий, когда все народы придут при тобой, затрубит громогласно ангел трубою, собирая народы от края до края земли, затрубит громогласно ангел Deuteronomy, chapter 33, verses 25 through 27. Your sandals shall be iron and bronze. As your days, so shall your strength be. There is no one like the God of Jeshurun, who rides the heavens to help you, and in His excellency on the clouds, the eternal God is your refuge, and underneath you are the everlasting arms. He will thrust out the enemy from before you, and will say, Destroy. If we 
we have to, um, if we look at this prophecy, then this is as a, is, is a pr promise of both protection from our enemies and annihilation of these enemies. According to these words, God is going to be our refuge. Expressed in iron and broads, or the dignity of iron and broads. In other words, he will demonstrate himself. To demonstrate oneself in iron and broads is our role, which gives God the basis to protect us from poverty and to expand our riches according to which it follows that protection from poverty and multiplication of riches is the mutual work between God and man. As you will see, God is not against riches because he himself has incorruptible and exceeding riches. And he views poverty as a result of curse that is created or that is made from resistance to his commandments. Practically, iron and broads, um, iron and broads is like a weapon as a commandment and as a condition, the fulfillment of which guarantees us the multiplication of riches or help and refuge in God from poverty. So according to this and other places of scripture, this is our characteristic. This It's going to protect us from dependency on this of these riches. It is going to give us authority over money. And dependence on money is always tied to idolatry, whereas authority over money is always tied to worship to God. In this prophecy, here we see our condition and the method with which God is going to multiply our riches. Now let's take a look at what scripture uh, views as iron and bronze, which will protect us. The Lord your God is bringing you into good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs that flow out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. Iron and copper is the characteristic expressed in carrying the responsibility in the boundaries in which we are called to protect the interests of God. And as soon as we exit out of the boundaries of our responsibility or if we refuse to fulfill our responsibility, wanting to place it on somebody else, then in doing so, we refuse to build these locks out of iron and bronze for our treasury. Because of which, God, upon all his desire to help us, not only will, on the contrary, he will turn against us his anger. Job chapter 36 Verses 16 through 17. Indeed, he would have brought you out of dire distress into a broad place where there is no restraint, and what is set on your table would be full of richness, but you are filled with the judgment due to the wicked. Judgment and justice take hold of you. Here we see the reason 
стол, чтобы он был наполнен благословением, помазанием, тучным. И причина, потому что мы присуждениями нечестивых. Мы праведные. You are filled with the judgment, do the wicked. We are righteous, but we are filled with the judgment, do the wicked. And here it says that judgment and justice take hold of you. Let me remind you what the judgment do the wicked. Wicked is a person who thinks that he must appraise everything and everyone. And this appraisal he gives based on his own opinion or the opinion of some kind of other authority who is not the face of the messenger of God. Now, the righteous judge, according to his responsibility, and the boundary of his, his responsibility, and he judges on the basis of Holy Scripture and not on the basis of how he thinks, of what he thinks. This is how the wicked and the righteous differ. God says to Job, you are righteous, but you use when you need to do some kind of appraisal. And we see in all the book of Job how he gives an appraisal, how he calls God to judgment. He says, you, you are filled with the judgment due the wicked. Your table would be filled if you would to stop using the judgment due the wicked. It was simply just used judgment of the righteous. The, the righteous judges that which is in his responsibility. He judges on the foundation of Scripture. I believe that the messengers of God uh, have carry responsibility for the events, the political events that occur in the world. Con other congregants do not, because God can reveal to his messengers who to pray for and how to pray. But no one has the right to appraise or to go against the presidents. It's written for us to not appraise them, but to praise them, but to pray for them. The country is in chaos because saints who are placed as a light to the earth, instead, they begin to use their responsibility incorrectly, and they go to appraise the presidents and, and they are part of revolutions that that are very dangerous this will lead the country to chaos and to calamity killing poverty which we see in other countries as well because if saints were to stand watch this would not have happened God would not have allowed this kind of revolution and not other powers not the NATO forces can mess with these countries to do something. If saints were to stand watch and to judge only that which they carry responsibility over, to judge according to Scripture. And so what is this iron and copper? Iron is the responsibility to create 
justice or to practice justice in the boundaries of our family, our local church, and, and um, copper is our responsibility to practice justice in the uh, boundaries of our essence and our spirit, our soul, and our body. And Genesis 1.26 says, let us create man according to our image and our likeness and let him reign over the earth. To reign over or have dominion over all the earth is to carry responsibility for the care in those boundaries that are placed for us by God in the time and limits according to God's established laws. Following this commandment, are these sandals out of copper and iron that give God the foundation to be our refuge from poverty and the foundation to increase our riches. Micah 4.13 Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion, for I will make your horn iron, and I will make your hooves bronze. You shall beat in pieces many peoples. I will consecrate their gain to the Lord and their substance to the Lord of the whole earth. Pay attention. Now, when God talks about riches, then it turns out that these riches must be dedicated to God and not used for our own satisfaction. Obviously, we can use it for our satisfaction, but according to God's allowance. Why? How? Because in Scripture we see that when a person becomes rich and begins to feast uh, daily, he loses his sonship in God, and he ends up in calamity where the rich man ended up in, in the Bible. Because if God has entrusted to us riches, we must dedicate to God. Riches were necessary in order to create a tabernacle, not so that, so that they could en, en, enjoy them, but this was for the building of the tabernacle. So when we begin to use all that we have in order to find God, in order to honor God, it's very important that when we fulfill with discipline, when we come to service, because if we say churches three times a week, this means that we have um, we have set it we have set a specific date to meet with God three times. He comes to this place, but if we come um, or if we don't come, we don't want to go. We're lazy or we try to justify ourselves. But if He has come, that He's come to this place. Later on, God will. God will separate those who were able to meet this date with him and to actually meet with him and those who didn't. God gives the revelation and we set a specific date when there is service and what, what time. And all are obligated to be there and joyfully, but this is also an obligation. But when a person does, does not go to church without a good reason, he violates the Sabbath. Because the church is Zion, is a Sabbath in which God finds comfort. It must be honored. We honor the Sabbath when we come to service. Therefore, it's very important 
how we carry responsibility in the boundaries of our responsibility. Therefore, let us take a look at the words, how your days will be numbered, thus your riches will be numbered. Proverbs 4.18 But the path of the just is like the shining sun that shines ever brighter unto the perfect day. And therefore, be careful of teachings about financial success that has become a mainstream in many different conferences. Because the leader that we follow never needs to, 2,000 years ago, with one offering, he offered himself as a sacrifice to God, and he tore the veil of the temple and opened the path to God. By following this path, in order to give God what is God's, we will acknowledge God greater and greater, and he on his end will bless us more and more. He himself will find out how much riches to give us. In fact, primarily must also always be spiritual riches. You must be rich in faith. And faith is the word that we hear. The more we hear and we place in ourselves, the richer we will be. It is thanks to our inner riches that we are going to have dominion over the earth. The saints, they, had, they were scattered and they were sojourners. They contained dominion over the riches, not having used them. Many people were rich, but they called themselves poor because they always sought for God and they always felt the need that if they don't have Him daily, then they are poor and they are sad and they are weak. But when people come to knowledge, even people who aren't Christians, that tomorrow death can come, they, they say, I can't use my millions. Even if I want to, I can't use them. I can't. They don't bring me satisfaction or pleasure. This multi-million yacht that I have, these houses, these servants, I don't have peace. I don't have satisfaction or pleasure. These people, they are sick and they are sick for a long time and they can't do anything because they are worried about the riches, how to keep them. But you know that when a person worries, his nervous system begins to give up. And the first thing, um, the first thing that then is affected is his stomach and his heart. He now can't eat whatever he wants. He can only eat... Um, small potatoes and, and soup. You, do you need these children, children of God? People, we need more faith. And however much God will give, we are going to be grateful for this. Because despite the fact that we might have little or might have nothing, we have everything. Apostle Paul had said, having nothing, we have everything.
People don't like this. Some pastors have said to me, you know, these words, when, when my pockets will ring, then I will say I have riches. And how can I say I have riches if I don't have them? Apostle Paul said we don't have anything in our pockets, but yet we have everything. Why do we have everything? Because all of that, all of that which is in this world and all of that which is in the new heaven and hell belongs to the church. She is ruler, but God is the king of kings. We are his children. You know that we all, we say this oftentimes, that wise kings, they never gave children material goods. They made their children learn um, to wash their own clothes, clean their own rooms, and they weren't given new clothes when their clothes had gone old. The servants had to teach them how to cherish these clothes. They were taught medicine, they were taught geography, they were taught stories, literature, and other sciences. These were the most difficult of days. Children died, and I had listened to someone say that there was uh, 16 children born and only one or two boys had survived. Why couldn't they survive? Because there was um, there was a huge um, weight on them to learn, and only those who remained, they were then prepared for the kingdom of their parents. God disciplines us the same way. The earth is the Lord's and all that fills it. Your Heavenly Father has all riches, not people of this world. And even if you have lost something, you have not lost anything. Everything is in God's hands. God has allowed for you to lose it, to see what you will do. He, the Lord has given and the Lord has taken it away. May the name of the Lord be praised. God wants us not to depend on loss. He wants us to depend only on Him. Our happiness and joy is in the Lord. If we sing these words, let us also live according to these words, and let's honor God with tithes and offerings, with searching for His countenance. We will allow God to bless us just as He sees fit. Let us stand and let us sing together. And let us remember that each time we honor God with tithes and offerings, we express our love and we acknowledge His authority over ourselves. This is very important to search for God in offerings. Our worship without offerings is not worship. It loses its significance. And therefore, let us sing together. And so I will gladly remind you, each time that Israel had honored God with tithes and offerings, they were called to, according to the words of Moses that he had received as a revelation from God, to lay his hands on his offerings and to proclaim one unique proclamation that they were faithful to for thousands of years. We, being that same Israel, tied to that same root, drinking from the same tree, will do the same thing. Please raise your right hands, a symbol of your righteous act, over your offerings and pray along with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I have separated the tithes from my home and brought them into your home so that your home may have food. I did not give impurely. I did not give in sorrow. 
I did not give for the dead. I rejoice that I have the privilege to express my love and to acknowledge your authority. And according to your word, I ask you, and then right now, may your heavenly windows be opened, and may your blessing come down abundantly upon your redeemed nation. In the name of Jesus Christ, Amen. Amen. May the Lord bless you. You may be seated.
And so, those of you who have a Bible, you can open along with me a familiar place of scripture to you. However, one that contains the mystery of relations between God and man. The book of Jeremiah, chapter 6, verse 16. Thus says the Lord, Stand in the ways and see, and ask for the ancient paths, where the good way is, and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. Return to the ancient path of goodness. To look at the foundation of our study of the ancient path of goodness, return to the words of Apostle Paul, who by the mercy and inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in short and concise definitions, was able to formulate the contents of the order present in the teaching of Christ. In studying this place of Scripture, we decided to use a more perfect and closer to the truth version of this translation. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 through 2. Therefore, sprinkling ourselves with the reading teachings of Christ, and having been clothed in the armor of light contained in the reign of this teaching, let us go on to perfection and build ourselves into the house of God, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and the faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. We know that each of the four teachings possesses in itself a triplicity of various functions that determine the unearthly order of the kingdom of heaven and determine in their totality the role of the twelve teachings of Christ who came in the flesh. In scripture, the number 12 is an image of the 12 hours in a day that yield the order of the kingdom of heaven in the armor of light. Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. John chapter 11, verses 9-10. Second, in fulfilling priesthood expressed in worship, this is an altar that is made up of twelve stones. 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 31-32. We are taking images where we see the reigning teaching of Christ in the twelve teachings. And Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. Then with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar. Third, in the dignity of royal authority, this is the twelve gates of heavenly Jerusalem. Revelation chapter 21, verses 12 through 13. Also, she had a great and high wall, again, this is heavenly Jerusalem, with twelve gates, and twelve angels at the gates, and names written on them, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel, three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three on the west. The victory over death in the image of the Jordan, this is an image of the reigning teaching of Christ, and this is the twelve stones taken from the bottom of Jordan, and the other twelve stones placed in the midst of the Jordan, where the feet of the priests were. Joshua chapter 4 verses 8 through 9, And the children of Israel did so, just as Joshua commanded them to go twelve stones from the midst of Jordan, as the Lord had spoken to Joshua, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, and carried them over with them to the place where they lodged, and laid them down there. Then Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests who bore the ark of the covenant stood, and they are there to this day. 
Furthermore, the image of the reigning teaching of Jesus Christ is presented in judgment. This is the dignity of the twelve thrones for judgment over the twelve tribes of Israel. Matthew chapter 19, verse 28. So Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Matthew chapter 19, verse 28. And furthermore, the image of the reigning teaching of Christ is presented in demonstrating the fullness of the measure of Christ. This is the twelve foundations of the walls of heavenly Jerusalem, or New Jerusalem. Revelation 21, 14. Now the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. We know that in Scripture, the image of a wall or a tower yielding the inner state of the bride of the Lamb within part, the state of the human heart, is an image of the spiritual maturity in the fullness of Christ. Here is how the bride testifies of this fullness. Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 10. I am a wall, and my breast like towers, and I became in his eyes as one who found peace. To be that kind of wall in the eyes of the Beloved, it is necessary to have in our heart all twelve foundations of this wall with the names of the twelve apostles of Christ engraved to it. On it. In this case, the tower is a part of the wall that surrounds the city. Rests are an image of the lips of the messengers of God that pass along the pure milk of the word and the doctrine about the kingdom of heaven. This is um, an image of the bride of the Lamb. Here is how the one who loves the bride testifies about her. Now he gained her in, the, in his death and resurrection. Songs of Solomon 7, 1, 4. How beautiful are your feet in sandals, O prince's daughter! Your nose is like the Tower of Lebanon, which looks toward Damascus. So only a person who comes into the image of a wall, the image of perfection, can feel the enemy, feel his scent, and be ready to destroy him. And here is one more testimony of the most beautiful woman in the face of the prophet Habakkuk, which highlights the state of his heart which is the image of the state of any person who has come to the full measure of the stature of Christ. Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me, what I will answer when I am corrected. Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain on tablets, that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the and it will speak. Again, we're talking about the tablets of the heart. But at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him. The vision engraved on the tablets of the heart is the revelation of God that transforms into the faith of the heart. The one who reads the vision in the heart of a person is God. This is referring to him. So I can read and help you so that you will not grow weak in your faith because the soul will not be comforted and you might have feelings that this vision will not be fulfilled for you. Everything will 
you'll be met with the thought that it won't be fulfilled for you, but the righteous, the righteous shall live by faith. Therefore, watchman on the tower is an image of the state that highlights the heart of a person who has achieved fullness in Christ Jesus. Micah 4.8 And you, O tower of the flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, to you shall it come, even the former dominion shall come, the kingdom of the daughter of Jerusalem. In a certain format, as far as God and the measure of our faith have allowed us, we have already examined the doctrine of baptism and its three functions, baptism in water, Holy Spirit, and fire, a doctrine of laying on of hands and three functions in the covenant of blood, salt, and rest, as well as the doctrine of resurrection from the dead in its three births, birth from water, birth from the Spirit, and birth to the throne. Therefore, let us turn to studying the doctrine of eternal judgment, which in Scripture is presented in the dimension of the eastern side of the heavenly Jerusalem in three gates. Doctrine of eternal judgment contains in itself three levels of the will of God, the functions of which in totality yield the creation of righteousness in works of righteousness and the creation of sanctification in works of holiness. Revelation 22 11, 12. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. Only upon the bond of the creation of righteousness and creation of sanctification can these two actions represent in one another the legal platform for their correct expression. And only in this bond can they represent the doctrine of eternal judgment. Romans 12, verses 1 through 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Three levels of the will of God, they are found in the doctrine of eternal judgment. Acknowledging the will of God is a sacred mystery that is found beyond the limits of our rational abilities that are called to occur between God and man and man and God in the dimension of the Spirit through the mutual act in which God and man unite as one and become one spirit. 1 Corinthians 6, 15-17 Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh, but he who who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Fulfilling the will of God in the creation of righteousness and sanctification is an expression of love toward God. If you love me, keep my commandments, John 14, 15. Fulfilling the commandments in the creation of righteousness and sanctification is fulfilling the will of God. In fulfilling the will of God, we receive the ability to know God and in this manner, unite with God as one. John 17, verses 21-23. That you may all 
that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me and the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. According to these words, to know the will of God means to become an expression of the will of God and the weapon of the will of God. The doctrine of eternal judgment in the good, acceptable, perfect will is the triumphant accord in the reigning teaching of Jesus Christ. In the history of Israel, during the formation of military camps around the tabernacle, from the front side of the tabernacle to the east and the side of the lion, three camps stood near it. According to the word of the Lord, the eastern army of Israel was located under the command of the tribe of Judah. Numbers 2-8-9 On the east side, toward the rising of the sun, those of the standard of the forces of Judah shall camp according to their armies. Those who camp next to him shall be Issachar and then Zebulun. They shall break camp first. When the sound of the alarm emitted by two chaste uh, silver trumpets swept through the camps of the sons of Israel, the gaze of all turned to the camps that were part of the eastern army of Israel. This seen in Numbers chapter 10 verses 1 through 6. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Make two silver trumpets for yourself, and you shall make them of hammered work, and you shall use them for calling the congregation for directing the movement of the camps. When you sound in advance the camps that lie on the east side shall then begin their journey. When you sound in advance the second time, then the camps that lie on the south side shall begin their journey. This was done according to the law. But the law, as we know, does not carry the image of things, but it is only a shadow of the future, but the body is in Christ. Hebrews 10, 1. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make those who approach perfect. Another place, Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 17. So let no one judge you in food or in drink, or regarding a festival, or a new mood, or Sabbath which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. To confirm the need to be a carrier to represent the doctrine of eternal judgment and its faithful significance and legitimately legitimacy for us, I will cite several scriptures that I hope will serve as a basis for paying the required price for the right to put on the weapon of light expressed in the eternal judgment. So that through the expression of eternal judgment, to do righteousness and to be sanctified, and thus to express your love for God and to fulfill your destiny in God, to be his light for one another and for the world. Hosea 6, 5, my judgments are like light that goes forth. Thus, light is judgment. If you are light, this means that you are embodying judgment. You are judging with your light those who are not this light. Isaiah 51, 4, I will make my justice rest as a light of my peoples. The justice of God is a light of the peoples. Turning to the church, God says in Hosea 2.19, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice. But Jesus had spoken these words, John 9.39, For judgment I have come into this world. I have come to fulfill judgment. 
Zechariah yeah. chapter 8, verses 16 through 17 says, These are the things you shall do. Speak each man the truth to his neighbor, give judgment in your gates for truth, justice and peace. Let none of you think evil in your heart against your neighbor and do not love a false oath. For all these things that I hate are things that I hate, says the Lord. John 7, 24, do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. We are called to judge not according to appearance, but with righteous judgment. And Scripture gives us standards how we are able to judge. And Romans chapter 2, verses 2 to 3, Paul says, Do you think this, O man, you who judge those practices such things, that you will escape the judgment of God? The judgment of God is retribution for good and evil, which is the eternal and unchanging law of souls and reaping. However, in a relationship with a person, initially God, in his eternal judgment, which contained the function of retribution, did not assume the action of his judgment in its proper, fu proper function. Initially, um, when God created man, he did not want to use, assume the action of his judgment for retribution. Initially, the judgment of God in people was called to show their functions and the ability of a person to judge the deeds of God and to stand guard over the deeds of God. The judgment of the works of God was expressed in these words, Genesis 2, 19-20. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast in the field and every bird in the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. When you give a name to the work of God, you are judging the work of God. You are, this is a crocodile, this is a snake, and this is that. You are judging the works of God in doing so. And so, so Adam gave names to all cattle. God made man in the likeness of him, able to judge his works. None of the angels could do this. None of the angels had this kind of status and these kind of opportunities. Neither the cherubim who had fallen, he did not have the opportunity, never had the opportunity to judge the works of God. Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. To stand guard over the deeds of God meant to guard the commandments of God, which were also the work of God's hands. But when a person refused to fulfill his vocation to correctly judge the deeds of God and violated the commandment of God, then immediately the function of God's judgment and retribution came into motion. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. Only when a person sinned did the function of judgment turn into retribution. God is the judge, and this is one of the first title merits of God. He is, first of all, the judge, and only then, love. God is the judge. Psalms 75, verses 7 through 10. God is the judge. He puts down one and exalts another. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup. 
and the wine is red, it is fully mixed, and he pours it out. Surely it drags, its dregs shall all the wicked of the earth drain and drink down. But I will declare forever, I will sing praises to the God of Jacob, all the horns of the wicked I will also cut off, but the horns of the righteous shall be exalted. Pay attention to how and by whom all of the horns of the wicked shall be cut off, and how the horns of the righteous shall be exalted. When a righteous heart begins to sing in his heart the word, all the horns of the wicked I will cut off, but the horns of the righteous I will shall be exalted. Then God begins to cut off the wicked and exalt the righteous. We already talked about how God will never do anything for man without man's act actual participation. Everything that God does for man and, and to man, he does through man. Man must cooperate with God. Retribution is a natural and predetermined manifestation of the character of God. God did not decide to become a judge due to unforeseen circumstances himself. God was, is, and will be the judge. God's judgment lies in the eternal and unchanging character of God, which yields his unchanging word. God can be judged by his unchanging words. The God's words are the judgments of God that define his righteousness and his holiness that cannot be purchased. This is the initial function of his judgment. Whereas retribution is the secondary function of his judgment, which is at rest and does not move unless the order of things established by God is violated. Therefore, retribution is an inevitable moral law of creation thanks to which each person will receive what he deserves, if not in this world, then in the future. Retribution is a reward from God, the judge. What a man sows, that he will also reap. Romans chapter 2, verses 3-13 Eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality, but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath. The law of sowing and reaping and the law of eternal judgment is one of the basic life principles. Apostle Paul writes, For there will be wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Romans 2.5 In other words, between the sowing and the harvest there is a certain period of time in which the wicked believe that God's mercy for them continues to be renewed every morning and that the day of anger and righteous revelation of judgment from God is not their lot. However, as far as we know, this is self-deception. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Matthew chapter 7, verses 22 through 23. They didn't even know about this. They didn't even think about this. They thought that this would... that this was for everyone, but not to them. That is why he is not... So God is a just judge and daily seeks out strict judgment. Therefore, sooner or later, justice will reign. That is why he is not indifferent to good and evil. 
Awareness of the reality of God judgment shapes our view. We live this way and not another because we are aware of the inevitability of retribution. The last efforts of the dragon will be directed against God as the just judge. He will try to inspire people that God is love and that all people without exception, including the dragon himself with his unclean army, will be saved. And that God simply cannot allow the worlds of spirits created by him as well as others to perish with the fallen charity. He is God Almighty and he will find ways to save all the creatures he created otherwise. He is not God Almighty and God of love. This is what those people say. However, we forget that if the mercy, if those who are wicked receive mercy, uh, they will not be able to look upon the, the glory of God. They won't receive it. This is a heresy. Holy God, in the dignity of the Supreme Judge, always is, was, and remains the God of all righteousness. We have already considered how the Holy God manifests His holiness and pronounced His judgment to the sinner. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within, and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O covering cherubim, from the midst of the fiery stones. Ezekiel 28, 16. God condemned the first people, Adam and Eve, and drove them out of paradise. God condemned the fallen world in the days of Noah by sending a flood that destroyed mankind and everything that he that had the breath of life on earth. God condemned Sodom and Gomorrah as well as the surrounding cities with fire, turning them to ashes, showing an example of future unclean people. God condemned Egypt by sending ten plagues to the Egyptians and drowning the entire army of Pharaoh in the Black Sea. God condemned the worshippers of the golden calf, showing them with the hands of the Levites who remained on his side. God condemned the sons of Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu for offering him a profane fire. God condemned the obst obstinacy of the leaders of the Levitical generations, Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, destroying the latter with an earthquake. God condemned Achan, Achan for, he for he defiled the accursed and he was stoned. God condemned Israel for their belief in groaning. And all men over the age of 20, with the exception of Caleb and Joshua, the son of a gun, fell, son of Nun, fell as goats and fell as bones in the wilderness. One could continue the sad long list of the judgments of God, which with more threatening force fell into the hands of the New Testament as written. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God, and if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who not obey the gospel of God? For two millennia, the curse of the entire nation of Israel for the rejection of the Lord Jesus has been gravitating. For knowingly lying, Ananias and Sapphira are struck by death. The Christians of Corinth were sick a lot and died a lot for their negligent attitude towards the Lord's Supper. For the blasphemy of Hymenius and Alexander was handed over by the Apostle Paul to Satan. The thought of the righteous and eternal judgment of God permeates all scripture. The law of Moses was given by God, the most righteous judge, who does not hesitate to apply punishment if people violate it. And this punishment is carried out in execution by divine hands through people who are similar to the image of the Son of God. Most of the prophecies of the ancient prophets are devoted to the statement of the essence of the law, the rules of its application, and then the enumeration of the punishments that threaten its unrepentant 
violators. In their ministry, the prophets paid much more attention to the teaching of judgment than to the teaching of the origin of the mission and his kingdom. This point of view is practically reflected in all the Old Testament and New Testament authors of Holy Scripture. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 13-14. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is man's will. For this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. James 5, 9. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Again, it says, Do not grumble against one another. Do not lead one another to sorrow and sadness. Do not behave toward your neighbors in a way that they are sorrowful from your words and from your behavior. From your ignorance. This is what this is referring to. First Peter 4, 4-5 In regard to these, that they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly not all the people, but to, but to witnesses chosen before by God. He went to us to eat and drink with him after he arose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. So he tries to discredit God as a judge through logical thinking, which is lined up in such an order as to put another person in a position in which he could not tell you no. And this has convinced many modern Christians that their relationship with God can be changed for the better by putting God in a position where he cannot simply say no. Take placing, to take place in scriptures and say, you promised you are the God of love. You can do all these things. Do it. Save me. I can't do it on my own. I'm a weak person. I can't do anything on my own. So they don't want to cooperate. They don't want to do anything. They think, Lord, do this all on your own. And if you don't do it, then it's not my fault. It's your fault. They forgot that God promised that if they acknowledge their imperfection, yet those people, they don't think that God is supposed to forgive them recognizing their imperfection, such a category of people nevertheless do not doubt that in the end God will forgive them and accept them regardless of their past that was not washed by the blood of Christ according to the They forget that God swore that by the works of the law that is an ascetic life, ascetic life, church attendance, tithing, and other forms of material service, moral behavior, no flesh can be established before him. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. It is not in our power to change our relationship with God for the better, to earn his lost favor. In order to gain the faith of Scripture, one must first to admit the fact of one's spiritual powerlessness, to stop trying to earn God's favor by the deeds of the law, and to bow down before him in rest and supplication, confessing our sins before him. And secondly, one should be born again, which means confessing 
confess the faith of your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God raised him for our justification. If God is love, this does not mean at all that he is obliged to love and help everyone indiscriminately. Если Бог есть любовь, то это совсем не значит, что Он обязан любить и помогать всем без разбора. Один французский вольнодумец ни на чем не основано. I will not rebuke you for your sacrifices or your burnt offerings, Psalms 58-15, which are continually before me. I will not take a bull from your house nor ghosts out of your folds, for every beast of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the mountains and the wild beasts of the fields are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine. And all its fullness. Will I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High. God is not obligated to have favor with sinners. We can expect from Him only justice, and in our case, justice consists in the fact that if we do not take advantage of the grace-filled opportunities in Christ, we will be condemned. God is not obligated to either forgive or pay. For the fairness of His judgment, there are no exceptions. If God forgives us, He does it according to His will and accordance with His word, and not in accordance with our logical conclusions. And no one is able to force Him to do anything contrary to His ordinances in the matter of mercy. Because He says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So that it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. Romans 9, 15 through 16. How come God says this? Because for in the beginning Moses had said, Lord, uh, please save your people. And if not, then blot my name out of the book of life. And God said to him, I, he who sinned, his name I will blot out. And then he said, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy. So he has mercy on those who repent. A person comprehends the biblical meaning of grace only when he realizes that his fate depends on the decision of God as judge to deliver him from the gravity of his sins or leave his sins on him. The only thing that God depends on is his word, which, having come out of his mouth, binds him forever in what he has spoken. Therefore, if he promised to have mercy on the repentant in accordance with the statutes established by him, then his mercy will depend on our repentance, provided that this repentance will take place according to the requirements of his statutes. His grace is closely related to His holiness and to His judgment. And by those two things, we first know God. Psalms 9, 16-19 The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten. The expectation of the poor shall not perish forever. Arise, O Lord, do not let man prevail. Let the nations be judged in their sight. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men. 
Today's struggle between good and evil will not last forever. The judgment of God will destroy evil completely. Retribution means the perfect fulfillment of the will of God. Isaiah 26, 9. With my soul I have desired you in the night. Yes, by my spirit. Within me I will seek you early, for when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. In the wall of heavenly Jerusalem, which consists of twelve precious foundations, the doctrine of eternal judgment, expressed in the degree of the goodwill, is made of the precious stone chrysoprase. Now the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. The tenth foundation was chrysoprase. Revelation chapter 21, verses 14 and 20. Chrysopris, Chrysopris, from ancient Greek, means gold. It is the most expensive variety of chalcedony, usually apple green, but can vary to dark green and bluish green. And chrysopris is valued not for its drawing or pattern, but for its color. Chrysopris in the variety of Chalcedony from which the tenth foundation of the wall of heavenly Jerusalem was made, it is also present on the breastplate of judgment of the high priest, from which we conclude that when God builds a relationship with a person through the powers contained in his goodwill, he will address the person through Urim and Thummim with a voice emanating from the secret mystery of Chrysoprase, which on this basis will represent the name of the Apostle Labaius the Deus. And the names of the twelve apostles are these, the tenth, Labaius, whose surname was the Deus, Matthew 10, 2, 3. Labaius, called the Deus, is in fact Judas, the son of James. This is um, a different expression of this name. This name has nothing to do with Judas Iscariot. This is approximately as if we said Paul, nicknamed Pasha. This is one and the same name. The name Judas was so widespread in Israel that around Jesus there were three disciples who had the name Judas. One of them was Christ's own brother. And we have his, um, his book, the book of, of Judas. Then there was Judas James, whose name was written on the tenth foundation. Finally, Judas Iscariot, three, um, three disciples. In other words, the name written on Chrysoprase, from which the tenth foundation of the wall of heavenly Jerusalem was made, is the name of uh, Judas James. The name Judah means praise God or praise Yahweh. Praising God is drawing the water of life from the treasure of your good heart to satisfy both your thirst for God and your longing. It is this function that is contained in the name of Judas, and the name James, as far as we already know, means he holds on to the heel, he will hold captive, he will leave a mark, he will protect, and he will win. Therefore, merged and united into one, the names Judas and James, in their totality, mean 
Praising God, we'll leave its indelible mark and will serve as an eternal memorial for heaven, earth, and hell with the fact of who God is for his people and what God did for them. Now, in order to penetrate the authority contained in the name of Judas Jacob, we first of all need to investigate in what cases and under what circumstances this name and its functions shows us who God is and what God and let us remember that the functions contained in the name of Judas Jacob can only proceed with the cooperation of a person with God and powers acting within the boundaries of the goodwill. Where for each of the parties, their own role is a size which cannot be cancelled and cannot be performed by anyone else. Therefore, in order to work with God in building in our heart the tenth foundation of the wall of heavenly Jerusalem, we need not only to investigate the functions containing the powers in the name of Judas James written on this foundation, but also the roles that God establishes in this name, both for himself and for us. Taking into account the format of this sermon, I will limit myself to a few, in my opinion, especially significant components in which the name of the Apostle, written on the tenth foundation, is called to give the children of God the right through praise to God to sing and proclaim who God is for them and what God has done for them. And to God, the confession of such praise offers the opportunity to show his children his favor or his goodwill within the boundaries of that confession in which they, through their praise, confess who is God for them and what God has done for them. The first powers contained in the name Judas James on the tenth foundation of the walls of heavenly Jerusalem, which I would like to pay our attention to, is called to praise God by drawing water from the wells of salvation contained in the heart. Therefore, with joy you will draw water from the walls of salvation, and in that day you will say, Praise the Lord, call upon his name, declare his deeds among the peoples, make mention that his name is exalted, sing to the Lord, for he has done excellent things. We're not talking about um, a person going and drawing, but this is talking about the, the vessels or the springs of our heart. From there, a person must draw water. That's where salvation is. Because it is written that they will declare or draw water from the walls of salvation. You can praise or draw water out of your vessel. I will remind you that according to the Strongest Hebrew version, the meaning of praise, praise Yahweh contained the name Judas means to list the names and titles of God, means to say who God is for me and what God has done for me. When I begin to praise in this way, I begin to say who God is for me and what he has done for me, only then does God receive the opportunity to fulfill for me that which he has done for me. But when I don't do this, I want to say, Lord, help me, Lord, help me see what kind of state I'm in. He wants me to begin to sing and, and pray and to proclaim what he has already done for me. He has already placed on my account in Christ Jesus that healing or that help that I need. 
And I need to open my lips with praise, to list the names of Paralogon, to list the perfect words of God. Thank God for the works he has done, praise God in confessions and songs. Remain and not leave your assembly, be true to your colleagues, study and fulfill God's desires, and trust God and have hope in God. This is what it means, the name Judas means, and praise Yahweh. Based on such a semantic definition, the purpose of praise is to activate and release the treasures hidden in the statutes of God from the invisible sphere of one's heart into the visible. So when it is in the heart, it's not going to work until we proclaim that which is in the heart. Until, while God thought he had Plans, but until he had spoken, nothing was done. But when God said, let there be light, only then there was light. When he said, let there be, uh, let the waters above the earth and waters on the earth be separated, this began to occur. God has many things that are in his heart, but they won't be fulfilled until God proclaims them. And we had already talked about how God wants His children to penetrate into His depths to find out what He thinks and begin to proclaim it. It is impossible to comprehend these statutes with our rational abilities. For this purpose, it is necessary to be taught by God through His messengers to whom He entrusted the word of the gospel. Psalms 119, verses 171 through 172. My lips shall utter praise for you, teach me your statutes. My tongue shall speak of your word, for all your commandments are righteousness. Thus, the key to mastering the strategy of praise is in the semantic meaning of the verb teach. Teach means send a teacher and mentor. God is going to teach through a teacher and mentor that he's going to send. Learn to be a disciple according to your statutes. That's what it means. That's what the verb teach means. Teach means to learn from statutes, pay the price for discipleship, to be trained to act within your statutes, to be instructed in the way of your statutes, to be prepared to comply with the statutes, and be trained to praise the statutes. To offer sacrifice of praise in the order of the attributed statutes, it is necessary to always observe the connection of praise with the statutes, so that we don't thank God for that which we shouldn't thank Him for, so that we don't try to, in our praise, to fulfill the role of God, for we need to fulfill our role. And such praise is called by God to be realized in the confession of that information which is the faith of our heart and finds its expression in the confession of our lips. In praising God, we seek His will. And depending on the degree of our birth, the degree of our praise in the search for the will of God will also depend. Considering that there is the good, acceptable, and perfect will, there are also different levels of dedication. A person uh, being in the good will cannot dedicate himself 
To that level of dedication that is found in the level of the acceptable or perfect will, he needs to first acknowledge this will, to know this will. The higher the degree of birth, the higher the degree of praise that liberates our cooperation with the possibilities of God contained in three degrees of birth. On their own, the capabilities of God are not limited, but they can manifest themselves in a person's life only to the extent that a person understands the extent of these capabilities. Um, when we are born from born from water and only when we are in the level born from spirit can we understand this higher level of birth and um, the capabilities of God are not limited, but they can manifest themselves in a person's life only to the extent that a person understands the extent of these capabilities and the order in which these capabilities can function and be released. John 3, 34-36 For he whom God has set speaks the words of God, for God does not give the Spirit by measure. If we acknowledge a higher level of dedication, um, we'll be able to grow to achieve it. It all depends on our level of dedication. Father loves the Son, and He has given all things into His hand. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, but he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. The degree of our faith, or rather the degree of our obedience to the will of God, which in fact is the faith of God, depends on the degree of our dedication to the will of God, while the degree of our dedication depends on the degree of our birth. Therefore, the higher the degree of our birth, the higher the degree of our dedication. And therefore, a believer in the Son of God is a student in obeying the teaching of the gospel word about the kingdom of heaven entrusted and revealed by God to his messengers. A person who claims to be a believer but despises the authorities and slanders the high authorities which represent the delegated authority of God in all spheres of human existence is a wicked person on whom the wrath of God resides. Especially in this time, we should be careful to not raise our hands on high authorities because today the lips of these high authorities will create wars and kill people and you will be, and you will be horrified, but do not criticize Wars always were and will be. God had placed established authority, and in each war, a king pursues his own his own goals. Democracy is a lie; it never was and never will be. There was always tyranny. There were always dictatorships, and only upon dictatorships can a person live well. As soon as democracy comes, the well-being of a person ends. A king is needed. And what a king wants to grasp and take hold of, he will take hold of those lands which God will allow him to. And you might groan and moan and say, what kind of right? What are, be careful. Are you a king? Did God give you this right? We must respect any authority beginning from the policeman on the road and then the governor, the mayor, and obviously the president. We must respect our parents, we must respect and honor our husbands, the teachers in our schools, our managers at work. Christianity has lost its, its taste specifically in this. I have received many different kinds of letters. People write to me, 
A sister in the Lord, Ukrainian, from Nadera. How can a brother in the Lord be Ukrainian or Russian? He already can't be Russian or Ukrainian or even a supporter of Bandera. Because in Christ Jesus, there are no Jews or Gentiles there or Hellenes. There is no slave nor, nor free. We are all one in Christ. You must forget your home, your household. You must not participate. Yes, we must know the events that are occurring to see what God is doing in the world. We must bow our heads because it, or lift our heads because the day of our redemption is here. People think that there will be the third world war and in the east there and there are very many people that die that which we see on the news it horrifies us that each nation deserves that which he has sown in the face of those people who had uh, who were responsible who was responsible to churches God said God told them to pray for the kings, but if the churches have become supporters of theirs, then they must reap. And unfortunately, people will, will reap because of them. Therefore, we must be very careful. We can't stand up against authority so that the retribution of God does not come against us. If not now, then later. When a person does this, he is a wicked person on whom the wrath of God resides, which in its entirety sooner or later will pour out such a person when God visits him. In Scripture, the image of a human heart seeking God is an image of a fountain sealed containing living waters. Songs of Solomon 4, 12 and 15. A garden encloses my sister, my, my spouse, a spring shut up, a fountain seals, a fountain of gardens, a well of living waters, and streams from Lebanon. A person who does not have a good heart will never seek God. So under the phrase, seek God, he will mean the use of supernatural capabilities and principles of God to fulfill their ambitious, carnal ambitions. And therefore, to praise God truly means to draw from the well of your good heart praise and gratitude to God, seeing and confessing who God is for us and who God has done for us and what God has done for us. This kind of praise of fills the thirst of the Holy Spirit and in turn enables the Holy Spirit to fulfill our thirst equally to the extent that we fulfill His thirst. Not more, not less. Let us remember that the phrase, my lips shall utter praise after you teach me your statutes means will be with the stream or the key of life. They will flow in the stream towards your heart. They will speak the secret from the creation of the world because it is going to be placed there. God is going to play, lay it there. Will proclaim freedom from sin. Not freedom to sin. What I want to do, I will do, but freedom from sin will confirm your commandments. They will walk in a circle of the heritage approved by you. So that which God has placed on our accounts is an inheritance. They're going to walk not around what they feel or what people say of them or what doctors say. They're going to look up up to him and walk around their heritage, what God has done for them in Christ Jesus. They will act according to the commands and of your statutes. They will release 
the life hidden in your statutes, they will conduct a dialogue with you based on your statutes. They will act under the influence of the power of your ordinances. In these shades, it is precisely the components that are hidden in the purpose of praise designed to flow with streams of life from our heart towards the heart of God or to gather at the disposal of God. Namely, such people who have been taught praise God marks with his seal, holy unto the Lord, my belonging, this is mine, my portion. Holy unto the Lord is the seal of righteousness that we receive freely by grace. Redemption in Christ Jesus when we are born of water and we make the covenant of blood in baptism of water. Covenant of blood. The heart of such people is good soil for receiving and growing the seed of the word about the kingdom of heaven. However, according to the words of Christ, among those who have received the seed of the kingdom of heaven, there are quite a few people whose hearts are not cleansed by sprinkling from an evil conscience. This is firstly the hearts of people whose soil is overgrown with thorns and drowns out the seed of the kingdom of heaven. When they all of a sudden begin to see material goods as a part of their inheritance placed by God in Christ Jesus, um, there is placed an imperishable inheritance they begin to use the principles of faith in order to proclaim a perishable inheritance, saying that this is necessary for God and that this is measuring their spiritual level. These are thorns. Secondly, in which the soil of the heart is stony and the quickly sprouted seed dies as it does not have a root system. Он со мной не поприветствовался, он на меня так посмотрел, она прошла мимо, не обратила на меня внимания. Heart that is stony is unable to forgive. People say, he looked at me oddly or he didn't treat me, he didn't pay attention to me. A stony heart. A good heart is so calm. It doesn't pay attention to how it is looked at. It pays attention to how it looks at others. And if I am open in my heart and I am accepted differently, that's their problem. That's the problem of people who have stony hearts, not my problem. Third, those who have the soil of the heart is on the road where the soil is not plowed and the birds peck at the seed of the one to hear. And although all these people accepting the seed of the kingdom of heaven conclude the covenant of blood and baptism of water, their baptism loses its power and they turn into opponents of God and opponents of his people. As a result, their names are erased from the book of life, but they find out about this erasure too late. And even having found out, they will object and disagree with the pronounced verdict. However, this will not prevent the sentence from being fulfilled. They are going to say, how did you forget? We have done everything in your name. But again, this will not prevent the sentence from being fulfilled. Because it is impossible to get around the unchanging principle of the law of sowing and reaping. The crime of these people was that they did not recognize the order established by God in his kingdom and presented their judgments and regulations as revelations and regulations of God. And being by their nature lawless people, they were quite confident in themselves that they were righteous. And with regard to truly righteous people, they were quite sure that they were heretics, religious heretics, although they attributed their virtues to themselves and ascribed their vices to righteous people. 
Of course, the praise of such people and their goals was radically different from the praise and goals of the righteous. By virtue of this, God perceived the praises of people whose hearts were not cleansed by sprinkling from a vicious conscience for mockery and stench. Only for the truly righteous it was proper to praise God. However professional those with a vicious conscience may sing or however beautifully they might sing, um, they don't proclaim the faith of their heart. Their conscience is not cleansed because they are a part of the category that are the have bad soil. Only to the righteous, Scripture says, it is pleasing, proper to praise God. Rejoice in the Lord, O your righteous. Pray for praise from the upright is beautiful. Those have accepted justification as a gift of grace, not earning it by fasts and prayers and evangelism. The righteous are people who, first of all, are clothed with the dignity of disciples of Christ who distinguish the voice of God in a person from a person with the spirit of the voice of a deceiver, deceiver and who receive the gospel word from a man sent by God. They themselves choose teachers that would flatter their ears. Therefore, when they begin to praise God and confess the faith of their hearts, in the manner of the statue established by him. I'm talking about people who are righteous. God perceives them as people who draw water from the sources of salvation to punishes his thirst and gives him the opportunity to fulfill those confessions of the heart which they profess in praise. The second component of the powers contained in the names Judas James the, on the tenth foundation of the wall of the heavenly Jerusalem is expressed in the curse that yields the favor of God. There is a kind of curse that turns the favor of God upon itself. Joshua chapter 9 verses 19 through 23 And all the rulers said to all the congregation we have sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel that therefore we may not touch them this we will do to them we will not leave we will let them live lest wrath be upon us because of the oath which we swore to them and the rulers said to them let them live but let them be woodcutters and water carriers for all the congregation as the rulers have promised and Joshua called for them, and he spoke to them, saying, Why have you deceived us, saying, We are not very far from you when you dwell near us? Now therefore you are cursed, and none of you shall be free from being slaves, woodcutters and water carriers, for the house of my God. Chopping wood and drawing water for the house of God means to lose, or rather to hate, the old man with his deeds. Luke 14, 26-27, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. It is impossible to be a slave of the Lord until we are free from the slavery and tyranny of the old man. Colossians 3, 5-7 Therefore put to death the members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. It is possible to kill the old man only by being in the doctrine 
Revelation of Redemption contained the commanding teaching of Christ about the kingdom of heaven. However, in order to be in the teaching about the kingdom of heaven, you must first accept it. And this means to make a decision to refuse to be a slave of the old man in order to become a slave of a new man born according to God by Jesus Christ. They said we are going to be servants. Who does not want to draw water for the house of God and to cut wood? Not one Israelite could go, go in there, only priests. And therefore, when Saul wanted to destroy them, then there was three years of famine that came in the years of David, and David was afraid, he said, how come you are angered against us for the bloodthirsty house of Saul? And then he began to ask uh, for mercy from those people because these people, they served in the temple and being in the temple, they felt the presence of God. They became servants of the Lord. To be in the house of the Lord means to be a servant of the Lord. This is the highest calling, to be a slave, servant of the Lord. The conditions for accepting the bondage of righteousness are contained in the powers of the goodwill, while abiding in the teaching about the kingdom of heaven is already contained in the acceptable will, which we are going to talk about. But because our time has come to a conclusion, we are going to pray and thank God for His judgments. He wants us to represent these judgments in the literal sense of the word. So that our life could be a judgment, a judgment of God. One judgment of God says to save, and the other says to destroy. And always remember, those who bless you are blessed, and those who curse you are cursed. Therefore, never curse the children of God. Never. Because they are blessed. But if they begin to act unrighteous, unrighteously, then we can express justice because they are outside the zone of blessing. They are outside of this. They become carriers of a curse. Only the pastor of the church can do this. And only after the pastor of the church does this can you say amen when he excommunicates this kind of person or warns him in order to help him or to save the church from this uncleanliness. Therefore, let us bow down and pray and thank God that we live in this wonderful time, the end time. When in the church, unique things are occurring. The sign of the times. Amen. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful to your holy name for the opportunity to hear your word, for the opportunity to accept your word, for the opportunity to judge ourselves according to your word. We thank you for your judgments. It is they that teach us your righteousness. When we are sanctified by your righteousness, we fulfill your righteousness. You want your people to be fulfillers of your word so that through them you can fulfill your work on earth. 
so that you can give your retribution, so that you can let, you can protect some and punish others. Let your glory be upon your people, and may the source of healing be poured out. We thank you for the inheritance that you have placed in Christ Jesus on each of us individually. We thank you for healing that we have in Christ. We thank you for authority over money. We thank you, Father, for authority over death. We thank you that we are able to control ourselves with the power of your word and by the power of the Holy Spirit. We thank you that we are able to grow in your word and knowledge of your word. We thank you that you have taught us to forgive to make the decision to proclaim forgiveness toward our offenders. May your children be blessed across the whole earth. May those who bless them be blessed, and may those who curse them according to your word be cursed. May they be protected in your presence. May your children know that they have comfort where they may go to from the political hungers, wars from economic crisis from illnesses from the fear of death it can be hidden in you allow us to look upon that which you have done for us in Christ Jesus Allow us to sing about this. Allow us to proclaim this. Allow us to meditate upon this. For when we meditate about this inheritance, you begin to pour it out. You begin to reveal it. You said that in the end days, through faith, you will begin to reveal your inheritance that is pure, that you have kept for these times, for your church had remained in poverty, falling from one into another. Lord, I thank you that you have sent your word and your Holy Spirit during these end days to lift up your inheritance, to deliver them so that they can understand that they are, that they are citizens of heaven, that they are purchased with a great price, that they do not belong themselves, that they don't belong to their nationalities, their nations, that they don't belong to their household, they don't belong to themselves, because you have purchased them. Lord, I thank you that you have purchased us. I thank you that we are your belonging. I thank you for your church on earth. I bow down along with your people, Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the hand of the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power forever. 
And now let us proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before his presence with exceeding joy. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.